0: My name is Josh, I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek, and it is such a privilege to be with you this morning. Although it is raining outside, as Evan said earlier, it is a gift to be here with so many of you. Now, many of our family are, are scattered right now, not simply in their homes because of illness, but... Uh, All around the state, we have over 50 middle schoolers at Winterfest in Knoxville right now, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge area rather. We have many who are away on school-related trips as well as many who are visiting. And for those who are at home watching online because of illness or otherwise, we want to welcome you and so glad that you're here with us today. And if you're a guest looking for a church home... Not a perfect church with perfect people, but we are a church that believes and follows a perfect God. We'd love to get to know you and offer our home here as your home as well. So at the end of service, if there's anything we can do for you, we want to invite you to go out to the Next Step Station. That's a place for more information, join a group, any number of things. This morning we are continuing our look and walk through the Gospel of Mark. Rather, it's the Gospel of Jesus According to Mark, he is the author. And we have our Mark journals. If you do not have a journal, go ahead and raise your hand very quickly and hi. Some of our men back here, are uh, they have some extra books and they will pass those out if you need one. Just raise your hand. I see a couple over here, a few. We will be this morning on page 22 in your books if you want to take notes. And I encourage you to do so for your small group discussion later today or this week. As well as for personal study. I find that I forget most things and need to write them down. As you're doing that, though, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be there in just a moment, but Mark chapter 1. So I have a confession to make, and like many of you, I'm a bit of a closet politics lover. I enjoy watching the sport. You know, now I'm not a big football guy or soccer guy or baseball or basketball, but politics, it is the new American pastime because it has become a reality TV show. Amen? You got all sorts of people who are hopping in. In fact, now that we're only two years away from the 2020 election, many people... Candidates are putting their hat in the ring for the Democratic side, even some on the Republican side saying they'll run against President Trump. And and look, doesn't matter what you think about it, it's very entertaining. And one of the interesting things that is happening and fun things to watch is how many people uh, are, are talking about what their platform will be. What will they run on? What agenda item will they focus on? What is it that they think is the most important thing for us as a nation. So you have some who, whose agenda will be something about climate change. Others, it will be about border security and immigration. Uh, for others, it's going to be about some sort of social reform. And still for others, it will be returning to a good traditional family value. But as Americans, the debate is who will set our agenda? Who will be the authority that will set the pace for us as a nation. Now, the interesting thing from that is it sets a question for you and I, doesn't it? And here's the question. Who sets the agenda for your life? Who have you granted authority over your life? This is the question that Mark wants us to wrestle with in the second half of the first chapter of Mark chapter one. We will begin in verse 13, and we're going to read a lengthy section of, path, uh, of text here. So I invite you to follow along on your own Bible or on screen. But these are the words recorded by Mark, beginning in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent And believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with no doubt a bewildered look on his face, and he followed Jesus. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because, notice this, he taught them as one who had, say this word with me, authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus says, be quiet. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with, say it with me, authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. Now, immediately after the church service, as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went with her, took her hand, helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not allow them to speak because they knew who he was. Now, jump with me down to verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, "'If you're willing, you can make me clean.' Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. "'I'm willing,' he said. "'Be clean.'" Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Now, go with me to chapter 2 of Luke or of Mark, verse 13. Just two verses here. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alpheus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And the people were amazed because he taught as one with authority. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray that you will come into our midst today as you came to that synagogue in Capernaum so many years ago. Father, may we listen to your authority through Jesus Christ today and invite him to have authority over us in all things. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen men. All right, let's get the setting. This is a map of the northern half of Israel during Jesus's time. This is the Galilean area. If Further to the south, you have Jerusalem, the Judean area, and the Dead Sea. Now, let me just kind of walk you through a few key places you may want to be aware of. You can also look at the map in your journal for these spots as well. But over here in the very center of the map, you have the Sea of Galilee. It's really more a lake. Seven miles wide, 13 miles long, it was beautiful, good water teeming with fish, fertile for fishermen to get their work done. In fact, it was so prominent that the fish from that area would be shipped all over the region. It was a good place to live, and this is around where Jesus spent most of his ministry time. Jesus, however, grew up southwest of the Sea of Galilee in a city of Nazareth. This was where he served and helped his father as a carpenter. Now, the word there is not actually a wood carpenter. Rather, it's the word tecton, meaning a stonemason. The reason for that is Jesus was probably not one who worked with wood because there's not much wood to be found in that area. Rather, it's all basalt rock. So someone's home would not be made out of wood, but rather stone, stone furniture. You might have a wood door, but that would be about it. So Jesus grew up working with his dad as a burly, construction worker but it was around the age of 30 that Jesus began his ministry as we talked last week and he did so by being baptized by John the Baptist somewhere further south in the Jordan River After that, he went into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the enemy. He left the desert victorious over every temptation and he migrates north of the Sea of Galilee and goes to a city called Capernaum or the village of Nahum, the Old Testament prophet. This was Jesus' home base, the area where he did most of his ministry. In fact, as we read in this text, this was the hometown of Peter and his brother where his mother-in-law lived. In fact, most people believe that this is probably where Jesus lived, that he may have, in fact, lived in the home where Peter and his brother lived and their mother-in-law when Jesus was in Capernaum. But Jesus starts his ministry as a rabbi. Everybody say, rabbi, A rabbi is simply a teacher, someone who knows the word of God, the law of God, and communicates it to the people of God for their growth and edification. And Jesus, like any rabbi, begins to do what rabbis do. He teaches. He goes into the synagogue, which is their version of a church and a school wrapped into one. During the week, the children of the city would be taught the Bible and other Types of topics. And then on Sabbath, which was from Friday night at 6 p.m. to Saturday night at 6 p.m., that was their Sabbath day. They would gather for scripture reading, for prayer, for teaching, and that was their church service. Jesus, as a traveling rabbi, would go and was asked to teach in the synagogue. In fact, this is a picture of the synagogue in Capernaum. This one was actually erected around the fourth century but it is built atop the original synagogue there in Capernaum. And it's about 5,000 square feet, large space, very large. But the rabbi would teach, usually under one of the sets of columns, and there they would begin to explain truth from God. But they taught in a very unique way. If you wanted to be a rabbi, here's what you would do. You would teach by quoting other rabbis. So you would say... Rabbi so-and-so says this is what this particular passage means. Rabbi so-and-so says this is what we are to understand about God. You taught by quoting other teachers. And so if you wanted to win an argument, trumping the other person was as simple as quoting a more well-respected rabbi. So for instance, you say, well, Rabbi Junior says this. If you were to then say, well, yes, but Rabbi Senior says that, you would win the argument regardless of the validity of the argument, simply because you are appealing to a better teacher, a more well-respected teacher. But Jesus doesn't get the memo on how he's supposed to teach. He doesn't teach like everyone else. In fact, the people were so amazed because Jesus spoke as one with authority. That word authority comes from the Greek word exousia. Everybody say exousia. Your blessings, kensutik, whatever, right? Authority, it literally means out of the original stuff. Jesus did not quote other rabbis. He quoted himself. You have heard it said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. You have heard it said, but I tell you, you have heard it said, not Rabbi so-and-so, I tell you, Jesus, who says? Me. Understand, Jesus does not simply describe reality, he defines reality. He does not simply tell us about the truth, he is the truth. And the people are amazed for what he is doing is claiming the highest level of authority because he does not appeal to someone else. This is what's happening in this passage And Jesus begins to say, now let me demonstrate to you. Almost like his creds. You know, you're not simply going to say, here's who I am. This is the moment where he says, and let me prove it to you. He begins to show his authority in three different ways. The first way he does it is spiritually. Do you notice, right there in the text, he gets up, he preaches. Authority, authority, authority. And what happens? As if on command, a man in the synagogue stands up who is possessed by a demon which, by the way, shows that you can go to church and still be anyway. But a man stands up. He begins to say, I know who you are. Jesus tells the demon to hush. Here's why. Jesus will not allow the darkness to testify to his goodness. And Jesus demonstrates his power over all the darkness for when he calls out this demon out of the man, the demon leaves. Now we're given no description as to what this man was facing. Maybe it was a mental affliction, emotional affliction, a physical affliction from the demon. We don't know. All we know is he was not in control of himself and yet Jesus gives control back. Hear me now. Some of you this morning are thinking you are in such a dark place that no one can help you. And the truth is, No other person sitting in this room can, but Jesus Christ has authority over all things. You are in no darker pit than this man, and Christ can liberate you as he liberated that man. He has authority over the spiritual realm. Now, after church, what do you do? Well, you go home, you have a meal. So what do they do? They get in, not their car, they may walk, they go to Peter's house. They get to the house, and they find that Peter's mother-in-law is ill. She has a fever. Now, in the ancient world, without medicine and proper care from a physician, fevers were life-threatening. This wasn't simply the sniffle saying, suck it up, buttercup. This was a serious thing. But I think it's kind of interesting. Jesus, he hears of this. He takes her by the hand. He lifts her up, and she is healed. And do you notice the very first thing she does? She begins to serve One of the first ways we know that you have met Jesus, that he has come into your life, that he has changed you, is you begin to serve in his church. It is the way that we demonstrate Christ has come in and is renovating our lives. Now, I find it really kind of interesting, though. Peter is not the one who told Jesus that his mother-in-law was sick. Other people have to tell Jesus that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Peter doesn't. You can almost see the scene. Hey, Pete, Jesus healed your mother-in-law. Great. I'm joking. Is a joke. Okay. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus demonstrates not simply spiritual authority, but he has authority over the physical, the natural, the world around us. There is no virus, no bacteria, nothing. Nothing so small or so great that stands outside of the authority of Jesus Christ. This is why we pray, family. We believe that Jesus is the one with ultimate authority. Now, does that mean that if you simply pray in his name, whatever you want happens? No. But when we pray in his name, we are simply saying, we trust you, that you are big enough for all that we face, and you are good enough to do that which is best Regardless of if we like it. He has authority over the spiritual, over the physical. And then the question comes, well, is that it? And the answer Mark wants us to get is absolutely not. He has authority over the spiritual realm, the physical world. But Mark wants us to see that he has authority over all of humanity. But he grants us the freedom whether or not to obey his authority this side of heaven. Do you notice what he says? He begins. Very first words Mark records Jesus saying is, Repent, the kingdom of God is near. By the way, last week we said that this is a tale of two kings. You have Nero, the bad king, and Jesus, the good king. And here Jesus says, I am the king, this is my kingdom. Question Who has final authority in the kingdom, church? The king. If it's your kingdom, you have authority. Jesus is king. He has final authority and so he uses a kingdom word. He uses an authority word. He says repent. Now, many people get a little confused with what repentance is. So let me show you. Repentance, one of those big churchy words we talk about. Everyone assumes we know what we're talking about, but some don't. So here it is. Are you ready? Repentance is simply walking one way, stopping, and going the other way. Repentance is saying, this is my agenda for my life. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to live. And then saying, no, I am no longer master of my life Jesus is, and I begin to do and say and act the way that he has called me to do, to say, to act. If you want to write this down, repent means to turn around. Change the way you think, the way you act. It is impossible to follow Jesus and not to change the way you think and the way you act. In fact, that's what Jesus does when he calls these various people to him. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you this. Uh, Harrison, would you come on up? And uh, Gracie, where are you at? Uh, Come on up here. I got another helper. Uh Uh-oh, she's bailed on me. Okay, no, here we go. Come on up here. (laughs) Let me show you. Come stand right here. We're going to just kind of have a little fun here. Now, I want you to see a picture of discipleship. Again, these are important words. We need to understand what they mean so we can do what the Bible talks about. So, here's what I want you to do. Everyone, meet Rabbi Gracie. Everyone, say hi, Rabbi Gracie. <laughs> Doesn't that feel weird? That's not my name. I'm sorry, hold on. Would you say your name one more time? Marianna. Mariana. Everyone, would you say. <clears throat> <laughs> so, <laughs> Mariana, can we still be friends? Okay, thank you. Now that I know your name, hi, I'm Josh. It's good to meet you, okay. You're all going, I'll say it, but that ain't her name. (laughs) Marianna is going to be the rabbi. She is the teacher. She is the leader here. Now, Harrison is going to be the disciple. Everyone say, hi, disciple Harrison. So here's all we're going to do. We're just going to play a little game of follow the leader. So, the leader... Does whatever the leader does. So go ahead, walk around. Just do what you like to do here. This is your moment. And Now notice, Harrison is being a good little disciple. He's going where the teacher goes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and notice, whatever she does, he does. Are you noticing a pattern here? Whatever the rabbi does, if you are a disciple, you do what the rabbi does. You go <laughs> where the... Hey, Macarena. All right. You do what the rabbi does. Are we getting the picture? Now, pause. What happens when the rabbi begins to do something and the disciple says, I don't want to do it? Let, let, let's just replay sort of this out. Gracie, go ahead continue. And Harrison, follow what she's... Good grief. Okay. <clears throat> Mariana, would you please do what you're doing? Harrison, follow. Go ahead. Resume. But then he starts doing something else. Now, the question is, is he still a disciple if he is not following the rabbi? Simple answer, two letters, N-O. All right, come on up here, guys. That's good. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see. Discipleship is about obedience. Obedience. It is about saying, I am not the authority in my life. I am not the one who has final say. I do not set the agenda for where I go, what I do, or how I do it. The rabbi chooses and I follow. Hear me now. If a disciple only obeys or follows the rabbi when the disciple wants to, then this person is not a disciple. They're simply following when it is periodically what they want to do. A disciple follows always. You are the authority. I am not. This is why to say you are a Christian in America means nothing. But to say you are a disciple of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Jesus means nothing. Everything. Can you give them a round of applause? Thank you guys. Going back to your seats. Now, you say, okay, let's just make, let's put some skin on these bones real quick here. Let me show you two things and we're going to call in the morning. Are you all right? Notice the two different encounters that Jesus has with followers. First encounter, it was with some different fishermen. This was a family business that Jesus comes upon. You have, in fact, James and John who are in the boat with their daddy Zebedee and Jesus comes, he says, follow me and they get out of the boat and they leave their daddy to work alone. Then you have a different story. There in chapter two, Jesus comes upon a man named Levi. He is a tax collector. He is sitting there along the Sea of Galilee at his tax collector booth taking money from people. Now here's the interesting thing. In the ancient world, it was a traditional society, focused on the family. In that culture, family was everything. You did not put anything above family. You did not say anything was more important. In fact, your father, the father of the home, was the ultimate authority. When Jesus calls his followers, he says, I am now in greater authority than that which is greatest to you. Leave your family and follow me. Give up what you find most comfortable and follow me. Give up what you think is most valuable and follow me. Give up your sense of security and follow me. In a traditional society, it's the family. We don't live in a traditional society. In an individualistic society where the individual is king, we live in this culture where it's all about your career. Chasing the money, chasing maybe not even the money, but the means for you to have freedom to go on trips experiences, activities, bigger house, nicer car, whatever it may be. And he says to a man who had the money, who had the stuff, the tax collector, leave your career and follow me. Is family your authority? Leave it and follow me. Is your career, is your money, is that where you find fulfillment, satisfaction, security? Is that your authority? You follow me. And the way you know what you are actually following is when Jesus says, let go of that and follow me, you don't want to let it go. Let go of that relationship, follow me. Let go of that behavior, follow me. Let go of that bitterness, follow me. What are you following? What is your authority? In fact, here's the question. Go to the next slide here. Who has authority over your life? This is the question Mark is asking, and he's going to ask over and over and over again. And what is so curious, did you notice the only person in the synagogue who got Jesus' identity was the demon? No one else got it. And yet simply knowing who Jesus is does not mean that you are following Jesus. Listen, I, Every day you are bombarded by different viewpoints, by different perspectives. And listen, I believe that we are to be kind, that we are to be gentle with all people, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. absolutely. But hear me now, and sometimes I have to, as your preacher and your friend, I need to be clear. I can't just assume you pick up all the things. So let me just be very clear here. Jesus' way is right. Everyone else's is right wrong. He is the authority. In Matthew chapter 7, at the very end of it, Jesus tells this story. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus tells this story of a man who built his house on a rock, and he says, Whoever hears my words and obeys them is like a man who builds his house upon the rocks. The rain fell like it's doing today. The rivers flooded, the winds blew, but the house stood firm. But anyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice, does not obey them, is like the man, is like the woman who builds their house on the sand. It looks so pretty. But when the rains came, the floods rose, the wind beat against the house, and it fell. And it was an incredible fall. How do we know that Jesus is the one true authority? Because all other homes built on the teachings of other people fall. Our homes are broken. Our marriages are broken. Our nation is broken. And I got news for you. It's not going to take a different president. It's going to take a different authority altogether. Not putting hope in other people, but submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is about who has authority. And I got to tell you, he's been doing this for a long time. And he has yet to let anyone down who follows him who has authority in your life the invitation that jesus gives on the sea of galilee he gives today in this room he says "Oh, just you follow me you follow me i'm the author of life i know how it's supposed to work you follow me and i will lead you i will lead you home We're going to go into a time of prayer. This is a moment where we prepare our hearts as we prepare the room. I'm going to invite our prayer leaders to make their way to the front. We'll have a prayer couple here, here, and here. So wherever you are, you can make your way quickly and easily to them. And as we go into this time of prayer, perhaps there are some things that that are on your heart that you simply want to share to the one who is over all things. Perhaps you want to thank him for the good news and the way that he has provided and cared even in the very difficult times. Perhaps today you simply need to ask him for his help. Uh, maybe it's for finances. Maybe it's uh, because of relationship challenges or even today you say, I just want to give my life to Jesus. You meet us here. We will show you Jesus, introduce you to him through the waters of baptism. Or maybe today you just need to repent. Say, I'm, I'm done going this way and I'm going to walk with the one who loves me and knows me and has a good future prepared for me. Whatever your need is, now is your time to take your step to follow, to ask, to pray, and to receive from our good rabbi, King Jesus. Would you join me as together we go into this time of prayer? How good it is to know that today he will take each of our hands... And as long as we want, we get to follow with him as the good father. As we prayed, and so many of you were praying around this morning to know that he hears us, he loves us, Here's simply the blessing this morning. May God lead you this week, family. And may you trust him enough to walk where he leads, no matter where it may be, knowing that ultimately it will lead you home. God bless you. You are dismissed.